Welcome to C3 Church Central Coast Sermon Cast. We pray that you'll be inspired and impacted by this message and trust that you're better equipped to live your best life. I want to look at a few scriptures and one of them is in the book of Matthew in uh, chapter 16. You may be familiar with this passage. Uh, Jesus asked his disciples, who, who do people say that I am? Well, he, he actually said, who do people say the Son of Man is? Uh, referring to himself. And they said, well, some people say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by, by my Father in heaven. In other words, Peter had a revelation. There's nothing better than a revelation. It doesn't have to come with angels and trumpets. It can come like that song that Chris and Zach wrote. says something about a whisper. You're the whisper that I'm looking for, it said, or you're the whisper in my heart, the still small voice. But God speaking to us through the word, through an angel, a trumpet, or through the Holy Spirit, God speaks and he reveals himself, doesn't he? And we can go, oh, wow, that's God. Like Sarah was saying, there's, there's direction. You might hear it from the preacher or the pastor or from someone else in church life, but it's, it's from God and, oh, there's something. Well, Peter gets this revelation about who Jesus is. And Jesus says on this, he reflects on that. And he says, you are Peter and you are a rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, there's a lot of uh, discussion you can go about whether that's Peter himself, uh, the different Greek words used for big rock and little rock. Uh, and many would say that it's not just an individual, certainly not just one person being Peter, uh, but also the rock of revelation that he got that Jesus is going to build his church on. Build, Jesus does build his church on people. He did very much build his church on Peter because Peter was a key person in the early church. But he also builds it on this revelation, this sense that individuals have to hear from God and go, I'm in, this is it. Yes, God, I'm going to live for you, not me. And so he then says, uh, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it will not stand up against it. So the church, Jesus says, I will build my church. And nothing, not even hell, will stand up against it. In other words, the church is to advance. He doesn't say, I'm going to build my church over here in the corner. And if we're lucky, the devil might not overrun us. It's going to be a little fort till I come back. You know, and sadly, that's sometimes the view people have had of the church. Some people with, even within the church. It's like let's huddle in the corner and hold hands and sing a few songs until Jesus comes and rescues us from the big bad devil and the mean world. Is that No, we're to advance. Yeah? We're the head, not the tail. Hello, you'd agree. And so it's, it can be very exciting. This is the great mission statement of Jesus. His singular focus his plan for mankind, the hope for people to come, to connect, to be part of his church. He says, this is what I want to build. He didn't say he was going to build anything else. He's decided to reach people through the church. And then Jesus left. But he didn't leave us alone. He sent the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came, why did he come? Well, on the day of Pentecost, he came and gave birth to the church. 
and he empowered the people to be the church. And you see that not just on the day of Pentecost, but right throughout history for the last 2,000 years, where the Holy Spirit comes and inspires people to serve Jesus, for them to be the church, this amazing combination of God and people here on earth, a touch of heaven on earth for us to pray and see the will of God, what is done in heaven to be done on earth. And so this gathering has taken form in many different ways, in many different locations for 2,000 years, in different cultures and different languages and all different places and countries around the world. But it's still God's focus of attention. It's still God's number one plan for mankind. And of course, when it happens, it's, it's awesome. But as we know, it's not a place of perfect harmony. The church is not just this wonderful, magical mix of God and sweet, perfected, forgiven people. You know, that, that it just all works perfectly well. And because it's not always perfect, there's a couple of different camps that people have taken, a couple of different views, completely opposing views of the church. And both of them are worth noting. Both are worth avoiding. The first camp is that sometimes people have promoted the church over Jesus, more than Jesus that they've got so passionate about their particular kind of church or the particular traditions in their church or the particular program that they're running, their denomination or their uh, group, their way that, that they just go at that so hard that Jesus somehow seems to be lost in the mix. He's forgotten. He's sort of on the back burner because we're promoting our brand or this particular program that we're in. And, and dare I say it, building funds. I know. We, I remember one couple joined our church and we hadn't talked anything about the building fund. Uh, and they said, we really love it here because you're not talking about a building fund. They'd been in a bad experience. And I was just praying to God and planning and we were just about to launch the whole time to build thing. And I was like, oh God, they're still in the church. It's okay. They're not here today, but they are still uh, here. But, you know, sometimes people have been put out uh, by that because sometimes people do get uh, too program oriented. I mean, any group of people in any situation, there's going to be humanity involved and there's therefore going to be problems involved. There's going to be mistakes made. Uh, and, and yet there's got to be some administrative systems, legal structures, plans, programs, decisions, people getting together. There's going to have to be that human element. It's just that sometimes that's gone so far or has, dis, dis, uh, you know, uh, turned from perhaps the the essence of what God is wanting to do you know just dismissed a little perhaps the the the, the presence of the Holy Spirit or the the you know what Jesus is really wanting to do and so people can as I say get a little bit too uh, overze- overzealous about their their program their denomination whatever and, and so there's something to to be aware of you know that the church is about Jesus yeah yeah uh, but the second group of people have reacted to what they've seen as, you know, institutionalized Christianity and they've rejected the church completely. They said, well, I love Jesus, but I don't like church because of the building program that got a little out of control or the scandal that was involved with the leadership making a bad decision and then they lost money or there was a moral failure in that church or there's all kinds of issues and stuff because people are people. But it's sad when people reject the whole concept of Jesus' church just because of the humanity of it. 
And some people have said, well, I'm going to be a Christian. And yes, I'm part of the church, the worldwide church of Jesus. Well, you can say that, but it's not quite what God's intention is. And it's actually quite a selfish approach to Christian things to say, well, I'm not going to be involved in a church. I'm just going to walk away from that. I'll have my relationship with Jesus, but I'm going to keep it to myself. And that's, you know, sad. But as I said, in a long term, uh, people really need to overcome that. Otherwise, they'll, they'll live a selfish Christian faith. They may have had hurts. They may have been disappointed. But they need to be able to work through that because God's will is that we do love and appreciate his church. Number one, God's will is that we have a personal relationship with him. That the church is not to replace that relationship with Christ. I think Sarah, uh, someone was sharing, was mentioning that, that they have their number one, most important thing. The church may facilitate that. You might meet the Lord through someone's witness or a meeting in a church. It's hopefully being improved. You walk with God by having other people and being involved in church. But the church doesn't take the place of that real personal commitment and relationship with Jesus. Amen? And so that's the foundation, the essence, the, the nucleus, if you like, of our Christian faith. Um, and for myself, you know, that occurred without ever being involved in church. When I was a teenager at the age of 15, I had a friend witness to me about their faith that they had discovered in Jesus Christ. And I gave my life to God having never been to a church service. I'd been to a couple of weddings. I'd been to a couple of christenings. One of them was my own. I don't remember that, but I know I was there. I've heard about it. The Catholic Cathedral at Armadale. I was baptized there as a Catholic baby. And so, uh, yes, I, in fact, when I was in the Vatican a couple of years ago, it was so cool. The Lord spoke to me. There's a section that said, Catholics only. And the Lord said, you're a Catholic. You can go there. I thought, I am. I'm a Pentecostal. I am a Catholic. I've never renounced it. I didn't really know about it much because, you know, my parents didn't, you know, follow it up. You know, my, my mum was a Catholic. And I was baptized there. Uh, but then I wasn't really taken to church. And so when I first became a Christian, I had no experience of normal church services. And so I understand that, yes, it's essentially the Christian life is a personal relationship with God. Um, but secondly, God's will is that we are involved in his church, that we are part of his church, that we are actually his church. And again, for myself, after a few months, I'd been going to the school uh, fellowship group, ISCF, and that was cool. I was involved in a Friday night youth group, and that was good. But I hadn't been to the real deal, if you like. There was a sense that the church, there's a ch and people were going to the local church and talking about it. So my mates and I got our courage up, and we went to church. And for me, it was a daunting experience because I'd never been. And they did all kinds of weird things. They didn't just sing, you know, Kumbaya like the youth group sitting on the floor. They had all these different books of different songs. And they didn't just sit on the cushions on the, you know, kindergarten floor of the hall that we were using. They were sitting in normal kind of pews, but then they'd kneel down. They'd pull these little things down and kneel. And then just by the time I got that figured out, they look up, they're all standing up. And they're reading from the, they're singing from the red book. And then not, and then the yellow book. And then they're reading from the green book. And then they all walked down the front. This really freaked me out. They looked like they were eating something. The guy at the front was giving them something to drink. I thought, Flip, this is like Jonestown. There's poison or some weird Kool-Aid. What is going on? That's, I'm exaggerating because it was probably a year before that happened, to be honest. But uh, it, it did really freak me out. I didn't know what communion was. 
I had no idea. I hadn't got to that part of the Bible. I was probably back in Leviticus or something, still working my way through, as you do. New Christians, you know. I know Ruth took about three years to break out of the mould of thinking, I've got to read the Bible from beginning to end. She'd start Genesis. Man, this is hard going, you know. But um, so I discovered that, hold on, I got over my initial, you know, shock of what it was all about and realized this is cool there are people here that have been christians longer than me i can learn from them this is a good thing not only that there are people that are doing life like me with a christian outlook on life and so that's fellowship and discipleship that occurs and then on top of that i discovered get this big revelation life is not just about me this is not just a place where i can get something this is a place that i can give something and so I ended up helping to run the youth group and run a drama group where we did drama skits, not just for our church, but other churches around the place. In other words, ministry, serving God, serving others. And that gets exciting. And I realized, yeah, God wants me in his church both for my benefit, but for the benefit of others. I've got something to give. I can, you know, help other people. And so we don't have to suffer from those two extremes. You don't have to be a religious nut you don't have to be a traditionally bound, you know, and don't think Pentecostal, spirit-filled, modern-style churches like ours, you know, don't suffer from that. You know, for the last, you know, 20 or 30 years, yes, this is the style of church that seems to be all cool and cutting edge and it's not stuck in denominationalism and all that. Well, you can get all very religious about your Pentecostal, spirit-filled, charismatic stuff as well. And so let's not go down there and make the church, the institution, more important than it should be, more important than Jesus himself. But neither should we reject the whole concept and say, well, I'm just going to keep my faith to myself and have a house church or walk along the beach and call that church and let's, you know, follow. Jesus said, don't, uh, you know, the Bible tells us, don't forsake getting together, being the church. Um, and in fact, you know, the Lord wants us to know about the church clearly. He's given us a number of different images in the Bible to describe it. Uh, let me look at them with you briefly. The first one in the New Testament is the body of Christ. And here's a scripture uh, that you can see there on the screen. First Timothy, sorry, First Corinthians, I should say, chapter 12, verse 27 says, You are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Every single believer in Jesus, it's God's will for them to be part of the church, part of the body of Christ. What, a, what an amazing concept. And you can read more in that chapter in the book of Romans that describes the details of how a body works and how people are meant to fit in just like the different parts of your body. And it says, you know, well, it'd be crazy if the thumb says, oh, I'm not an eye, I'm not worthy. Oh, you know, We've all got a part to play. God wants each of us, every single follower of Jesus, to be part of that body to not be cut off, to not be separate. Every part of your body is important. And, of course, Jesus is the head of the church. So it's not just an organization. It's an organism, a living thing. Jesus sending us direction from the head, the brain's trust of the church. Secondly, the Bible tells us that the church is a building or a temple. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, In him the whole building is joined together, and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Isn't that awesome? 
We are a building. Everyone say being built together. Built together. That's God's will. Again, you know, uh, a follower of Jesus is called to build and to be part of God's building. A pile of bricks is useless. It doesn't house anyone. A brick on its own is even more useless. Just a brick, just sitting there. But a master builder can get those bricks and put them together with a great design, craftsmanship, and create a shelter, a home, a temple, a place that, you know, has done something with those bricks. So that's God's job. Jesus builds us together, each one of us. And if you take, and any, any brick that somehow takes itself away from that building affects the whole building. And if everybody, if every brick says, well, well, they don't need me. Oh, they don't need me. Well, then there's no building. You know, oh, they seem to have enough bricks. Well, if everybody says that, oh, it's like keeping Australia beautiful. It's like littering. You go to some countries and everybody's just chucking a cigarette packet thinking, oh, it's only me. No, you know, everybody does that. Place is a mess. And some countries are like that. When I was a kid, flip, they beat us hard, didn't they? Propaganda. Forget the communists, man. We were propagandized, weren't we? You know, do the right thing, you know? It's like, you remember? And you, there's the bin and put it in the bin. And now I just, it, it'd be like for me to drop a paper on the ground and I hope you're the same. It just it feels bad. In fact, I have actually got out and I, I've seen young, I nearly did it the other day, but the lights are about to change. This kid in front of me, he's cigarette pack, chucked it on the ground next to his car. And I'm like, oh, the lights are about to change. I was so keen. I was going to run it and say, Excuse me, buddy, you dropped this. Put it back in the car. It's like, you know, but I was gracious. And as I said, the lights, you know. But uh, why am I talking about that? Bricks go. If everybody litters, place is a mess. See, there's a reason there. Uh, and so if everybody says, oh, I'm only just one brick, it's not going to make any difference. Well, that, you know, everybody makes a difference. And again, the body of Christ analogy talks about exactly those parts of the body that you don't think you really need. You know what I mean? You've never seen someone else's lungs, you know, heart, internal organs, but you kind of need them, you know, just because they're not seen. And so you might not be a song leader, you know, music, cool guitarist. Or Jesus needs you in his church, you know. Uh, the bride of Christ. Amazing. Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives. Hear that? Just as Christ loved the church. Ah, wow. And gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. And to present her, the church, the bride, to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. It goes on in that passage to say this is a profound mystery. And it's only one that we'll, we'll most fully understand at the end of time. And the book of Revelation prophesies about that. It uses the term the marriage supper of the Lamb to describe that final wonderful union of Jesus and his bride, the church. Isn't that amazing? So I know for blokes it's kind of a hard thing to think of yourself, you know, as a bride. But collectively, you know, yes, and, and I'm not saying you have to go and try and fit into your wife's wedding dress to play the part and try to, you know, sort of make it an object lesson of theology. But 
collectively, if Jesus is the husband, we are the bride. We are his precious bride as the church. And then fourthly, the Bible says that we're an army. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says, Endure hardship with us just like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. How cool is that? We know that there's a spiritual war going on and that we fight in the Lord's army. And that's not, you know, some psycho-African group of people trying to take over a country because that happens sometimes. They mix their theology and their politics and they end up with some terrible, you know, genocidal army called the Lord's army, I think, in some countries. No, we're the real Lord Jesus' army in a spiritual sense with his armor, his weapons of warfare, and uh, they're outlined for us in the New Testament. Notice it says he wants to please his commanding officer. That's the goal. If a soldier is doing the right thing, he's not going to get busted. He's, if he pleases his commanding officer, it's going to work well for him. And, um, and that's it. that should be our number desire. That should be our number one desire, I should say, You know that we please Jesus. He's the... Uh, the captain of the Lord's army. And fifthly, the Bible says that the church is a family. Ephesians chapter 3, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And of course, that's not the only place that God is referred to as our Father many times. And of course, in the New Testament particularly, we're told that we are brothers and sisters. We're told in the book of John that when we become born again and believe in Jesus that we become children of God and so the church is a family now there's a lot of dysfunctional families in the world today people talk about that as a a major issue but the church in spite of our differences our sin our humanity our conflicts the church is still a functional family and you think I I want to share briefly with you three things about a cool functional fantastic family firstly they're going to have good parents it starts with the parents parents have got to be loving but they've also got to be showing leadership they've got to be caring and gentle and sensitive and nurturing their kids but they've also got to be willing to discipline the kids and show them what's right and you know God is perfect at doing that isn't he God is wise and he shows us leadership and he disciplines us but he's loving us and if the discipline's there it's only for our own good and he's caring and sensitive and and he's the perfect parent um and every parent knows how imperfect they are sometimes you know in wanting to do the right thing and thinking oh i've missed it again and, you know um that doesn't happen too often though well no you know more often than we'd like um second thing about a great functional family is that there's love amongst the children that they get along And sure, there's conflict and there's differences, but they stick by each other. They forgive each other. They don't just pack their bags and take off. And that's what Sarah was talking about in the church. God's will is that people work it out, stay together and forgive. And remember that that's my brother. That's my sister in the Lord. Not just some friend from acquaintance, someone at a distance or worse, an enemy. No, that's my spiritual brother. I've got to work it out with him. You know, my kids, like any family, they'd fight, but we'd always say, come and work it out. What do you say? 
Say sorry. Say sorry. Right? Say I forgive you. Anyway, come on. Shake hands. Have a cuddle. Cut Hudson Eleanor. Have a cut. Tickle. Have a cut. You know? And then, uh, you know, you mate, you want them to work it out. You don't just say, oh, look, fair enough. Look, I totally, it's a big, you know, pack your bags. In fact, both of you leave. You really, you know? Because I can't tell which side of the Mars bar was bigger. So really, you know, that, I can't figure out who should have got the biggest glass of Milo or whatever we're fighting over here. It's, no, it's, you're right. It's a pretty big deal. Milo's tasty. I agree. And it's the last of the Milo. No, it's worth leaving over. Off you go. No, fair enough. So, oh, Oh yeah, I'd yeah I'd go over that. No, it's understandable. Yeah, and and so really, from God's perspective, whatever deal we've got going on, it's crazy if people end up splitting up over it and being offended. Listen to what Peter McHugh said when he was preaching to us a couple of years ago. He said, "You only ever discover how much love you have for someone when you experience conflict with them." That's cool. It's easy to say, oh, "I love you." Oh, I love you, mate. In fact, be careful to say that to Dale. He'll pick you up and squeeze the life out of you. Uh, you know, you just say, oh, yeah, I love you. Yeah, great. Yeah, good. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, we're all in agreement. Let's go. Yeah. Huh. Why did he say that? I heard that. He, I didn't like, I don't like that decision. What, what does Chris think he's doing? What about, hey, did you hear that? I think that that guy might have said that perhaps you thought that maybe the rumor is that, huh, well, now's the time to forgive. Now's the time to be brothers. Now's the time to work it out. And God's there saying, don't worry, who got the biggest glass of Milo, you know, and, and we need to just, figure that out the other thing about a family is that they're inclusive of other people a great family with a great family home has always got room for someone else there's always you go to the Cherkovs you just rock up at any time there's always more food they don't say oh well we didn't expect you oh well oh um, yeah you don't see Tanya saying oh I'm not sure if I've got quite enough too many um, really uh, it's like oh yeah bring them in what the football team sure come on yeah well and it's true and that is a great you feel welcome there and so visitors, guests, hey, you might even as a family like us feel that you're going to open your home to kids permanently in an adopted or foster care kind of situation. And that's exactly the picture of God's church, that they're in, we're inclusive. We don't say, oh, well, we don't like your look or, you know, we'll, any color, creed, class, culture, any other category that starts with the letter C, you can, you can come. You know, and that's our heartbeat as a local church because we feel God's heartbeat for all kinds of people. You don't have to be of a particular, you know, ethnic group or social class or, you know, style of dress code or whatever. You can wear, you know, a weird looking bandage around your head. You can have lots of hair or no hair. <clears throat> Not pointing at you. Just wait your time, you young guys. Yeah, just look, Oliver Dale. It's just. Ten quick years, mate. Give it time. No, no. I, no, no. I'm, only, I'm not, not prophesying that out. In fact, quite the opposite. Dale, miraculous. Miraculous regeneration. Ashley Martin. Oh, oh whatever they're called. I don't know. You know. Um, an angel. An angel. Busy. One, two angels. One's Ashley. One's Martin. You know. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Hey, we've only got so much time. Yeah, somebody get back onto the subject. Oh, that'd be me. Okay, so, uh, so really, you know, the church, you know what it is? It's a home away from home because our ultimate home is heaven. And we should always feel a little bit 
little bit restless, but you know when you go on a holiday, it's really nice, you get your pad organised, you get a nice holiday unit or something, and you settle in there, and after a few days, you've figured out where you've put your clothes and where the TV remote is, and the pool, and the key access, and you've all realised, yeah, we'll always put the key on top of the telly, and we're not fighting over where the room key is, or where, you know, the church is a bit like that, it's like the home away from home, it's not permanently uh, the perfect place, but it's a whole lot better than the alternative. You know, again, I think Sarah was saying, you know, there's a lot of alternatives. There's a lot of things you could be doing on a regular, committed basis. There's nothing better than saying, no, no, this is my home. This is my family. This is my church. This is what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, those three things, good parents, loving one another, and being inclusive of open, open to others, that reflects directly to our mission statement of reaching up, reaching out, reaching in. We reach up to worship our perfect parent. We reach in with love and training because we're, we're loving each other and we're trying to grow and disciple and fellowship together and, and that's the love of the brothers and sisters. And we're also reaching out because we feel God's heart for more to come and we're inclusive of other people. Amen? And so that's a reflection on our values. One more thing. All of these analogies, or they're more than that, they're descriptions of the reality of church, all have something in common these New Testament descriptions, and that's the, the, the concept of attachment, that people are joined together, things are joined together, whether it's the body, where body parts are joined together, whether a man and woman are joined together in marriage, like the bride of Christ picture, whether it's bricks stuck together with mortar in a building, a temple, or an army where soldiers are unified in a common purpose of protecting their country or going to war, or people connected together in a family. They're all attached. And, you know, everything in the world is attached to something. And it doesn't survive very long when it's isolated from something or when it's removed from God's ordained place of belonging. So, you know, the moment you pick a flower, it's already beginning to fade and wither. The moment you get a fish and pull it out of the water, it's out of its environment and it's starting to die. Uh, you know, a coal separated from the fire immediately is, is starting to lose its heat and it's going to be overwhelmed by the cold. And so in the same way, God's designed us to live in community, attached to other people, to him and to each other. And we grow best when we're well connected with the people around us, in our natural families, in places of work and schooling, you learn more and do better with other people. And, of course, in our spiritual family, the church, we're designed to be attached. In fact, psychologists talk about the law of attachment. They've done a lot of studies, uh, and they've realized how people need you know, to be connected with other people, starting from babies right through into adulthood. Um, I read about the father of attachment theory amongst the psychologists, um, and, uh, you know, educationalists amongst us may have heard of this bloke, John Balby. He's an Englishman, and he did a lot of studies with orphans in and just after World War II. And he found that many of them suffered from all kinds of conditions and diseases, and in fact even died in spite of being given adequate medical care, adequate nutrition. They had all the right environment for good health except for those human relations that had been broken. They were in institutions as orphans 
and they weren't in natural families. They weren't even in adopted families. They were just being fed. They were just being given clothes. They were just given a roof over their heads. And some of them died inexplicably. And they realized through the studies that this proved human contact, human care was essential, not just for a good quality of life, but just basic human survival. And Paul Scanlon, another Englishman, preacher, he writes on this subject. He wrote an article called The Law of Attachment, and he talked about this. He says this, The strategy of the devil from the beginning has been to entice people into detached living. The consequence of Cain's sin in murdering his brother was that he became the first detached person ever. The Bible says he became a restless wanderer on the face of the earth. Many thousands of God's people across the world today are also restless wanderers because they've severed their God-ordained attachments with people and churches. Well, I'm preaching to convert it because you're here today. But we need to pray for and encourage people who are believers in Jesus, who maybe have been, as I said earlier, put off by a, a scandal or a hurt or an issue or something in church life as an institution, to work through that and to appreciate Jesus still wants them in his church to be attached to God and to other people and for us to keep running down that road as well and to bring others in and to let them feel included. And, um, and so you can tell I believe in the church. I didn't grow up in it. I didn't you know, sort of just follow the family tradition. I got that revelation like Peter got the revelation of Jesus and I've found over the years that it is the best thing for people to be involved in. Um, and more importantly, it's not just me, it's God. God believes in his church. And so that's why we are passionate about our building fund. It is not just about a building. It's a facility for the church, for all that the church entails, for God's work, for God's family, for God's army, for all those different images and descriptions of what the church is and can be, the pillar of truth in society, the Bible tells us. And so um, that's my prayer, that we are all able to play a part in this as the Holy Spirit leads. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this message and feel challenged and encouraged. Please let others know about this free podcast so they too can grow and learn to live their best life. You can find out more about our church and ministries at www.c3cc.org.au. God bless you.